Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now back to the show. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Dan Lemoyne. He's a nutritionist and uh, one of the authors of Fear No Food. So we're going to talk about the, what the book's about and what Dan's work is about as well. Welcome, Dan. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Honored to be here, Richard. If you would, tell me a bit about your background, and then I want to talk about the work that you're currently doing and ask you about the book. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, so my my original career was trying to play professional rugby. Uh, I graduated college uh, with a business degree and moved to the UK to to try to play at the highest level I could. I lived in Edinburgh, Scotland and played for a couple teams over there and then uh, made my way back uh, back to the States and, and was in the business world and uh, and left to actually go to the nonprofit space. And uh, as I was for about five years living out of the country again in the Dominican Republic and um, looking for my next endeavor, wanted to uh, to start a business and have always been into kind of health and uh, and fitness and um, had an opportunity to partner with uh, with my now partner, Dr. Abood, on starting and creating what what we call revitalized weight loss. Okay. Yeah. What's the premise of the book? And I'm sure it's your practice is what shaped the book, I would guess. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. What's, what's different about what you guys do? So the book is really an extension of what we are doing in our clinics or with our virtual clients uh, across the states, uh, which is really customizing nutrition plans for the individual um, versus, uh, you know, a cookie cutter, copy and paste type approach that we see often where it's everybody's getting the same food list, the same bars and shakes, the same, um, you know, medications or what have you. Uh, our thesis is that everybody's body's different. We all navigate stress differently. The reasons our bodies hold on to weight and where they hold on to weight are different, uh, all based around uh, our metabolism. And so we use a couple different pieces of technology that really help us give us a, a starting point of what foods are optimal for you versus somebody else's. Uh, and then our nutrition staff really operates like a wraparound team for you every step of the way as uh, we're guiding you to to better health and, and a lower, you know, of a better, a better body composition. Um, so not too unsimilar to, I think I read in some of your story of just battling thyroid cancer and how you were able to attack that from a nutrition space. It's like your body was was kind of in a, a complete tornado for its own reasons. The the things your body needed, the nutrition your body needed, uh, are gonna be different than mine. They're gonna be different than a postmenopausal woman's, right? And so our bodies are all different. And so the the kind of the base 
the punchline for us is that everybody's nutrition plan and and weight loss plan in particular should be fully catered to to them. So how do you evaluate someone, and what what are the uniquenesses in people? I know I know in various depends, but usually variations constrained. Like there's five kinds of archetypes that you see, or seven kinds of this. And these are the parameters that really are the important hallmarks for a given person to help. To, you know, once you understand them, you can help them. So what are these things? I mean, I think there's a couple. Uh, well, I'll call it like layup, just lifestyle things that I see that uh, that can have a huge impact on on folks that we see often here in our clinic as we do some of our testing. One of those is just is cellular hydration. I think a lot of folks say we walk around with our, you know, our our water bottles and we think we're well hydrated, but uh, at the cellular level, you know, our body composition just isn't reflecting that um, that we we're, our cells aren't as hydrated as they ought to be. And when your cells aren't hydrated appropriately, the metabolism can't do what it's designed to do because at the cellular level is where all your metabolic processes start. And so I think. We see that often across most folks, regardless of age, gender, things like that. So that tends to be one one big thing that if we can start to address the the kind of the cellular level as your body getting the the minerals and the the proper hydration, the metabolism can start start to turn around. Um, I definitely, we see like a lot of metabolic slowdown after big life events. So injuries, illness, surgeries. Uh, women tend to go through menopause or birth of kids, all of those things, you know, we kind of intuitively know it. It's like after my, you know, after my third kid, I just couldn't get the weight off like I used to. Or, you know, when I turned, you know, 40, it just seemed like everything slowed down. I had to work out twice as hard in order to to maintain. And so our technology allows us to benchmark that. And so we are seeing what is your metabolic age respective to your actual age. And then we're measuring that week over week as we're making continued uh, changes to how, when, and what you're eating. And uh, if we're just seeing the weight come down, but we're not seeing body fat come down, so not seeing your metabolic age trending in the right direction, we're going to make some adjustments to your program. Well, what are some, uh, you know, without names, obviously, what are some case studies that are instructive? Well, I, I mean, I think one of the back to kind of one of your original questions of like kind of what got me into this is I actually watched my mom go through this uh, this program with Dr. Abood um, or an early version of this program, if you will. And I'll be honest, I was super skeptical because I, I, I've seen her yo-yo my entire life. Um, I've seen her, you know, be very successful losing weight, but it seems like the moment she would eat carbs again or go off of the, the prepackaged food, the weight would just come right back on. And it really wasn't until two, three, four years later, and she's kept 32 pounds off, and her metabolic age as a 65-year-old woman is in the mid-40s, was really kind of the aha moment for me to see, whoa, there's something different about when we can approach um, you know, weight loss from a, a lifestyle and a whole food nutrition standpoint, really miraculous things can happen. And you're, we're not just you know helping you lose pounds, we're really trying to figure out how do we lose body fat? How do we improve your metabolic processes? Okay. Do you have any case studies or any specifics? Again, you know, the name names, but you know, what's something that listeners can really uh, dive into? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a good testimonial in our book uh, about a guy named uh, Terry who, similar to like my mom, tend to yo-yo. So he, he would go on keto or he would cut out certain food groups, would lose the weight. And then it, it either within short order or over the, you know, the following months, that weight would come back when he'd go back to eating regular foods. And when he came to us and we did a body composition analysis, we see, okay, we've got a 54-year-old guy here, but metabolically, his metabolic age was 74. 
And so what that's telling us is that, hey, the furnace isn't burning. And so we put him through our battery of tests. We paired him up with our nutrition staff, put together a whole food eating plan for him that was bespoke to him. Hey, these are the foods that are most optimal for you, not only given what the testing is showing, but also as time goes by, we're working with him to, to see what are the specific lifestyle things that we need to address to make it enjoyable. So he's not just, you know, gritting his teeth. And, and ultimately his metabolic age is now in the mid forties. So for he's a 54 year old man with his metabolism operating like it did 10 years ago, that's optimal because that means he can go to the ball game or, and, you know, have a pizza or, you know, piece piece of pizza or a beer. Uh, his, his thing is classic cars. So he goes to a lot of these classic car events. He owns a bunch of classic cars. That was his inciting incident was, hey, I couldn't get behind the wheel of my car anymore. Didn't matter that he had diabetes. He was like, that was the really the irritating fact that caused me to come see you guys. Now he's able to go to these shows. He can eat what he wants within reason, of course, but he, his body's burning it um, as evidenced by that metabolic age. And he has the tools and the skill set to know if he does get a little bit undisciplined or he goes through the holidays and gains a few pounds, he knows exactly what foods to go back to in order to bring that down himself. So, yeah, what is metabolic gate? How is it determined? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's an algorithm that we use based on body composition analysis testing. So bioelectric impedance is what we use. So it looks like a bathroom scale that you're standing on for about 30 to 40 seconds. They make a lot of these that you can get in your home and pull up things like your body fat, your bone density, your hydration levels. Ours pulls up about 20 different points of bio data. And then it's an algorithm based on those different points of bio data where doctors have said, hey, this body composition roughly equates to a metabolism that's working like a 90-year-old's or a 50-year-old's. Okay. So you do that. And what are some of the levers that affect uh, the metabolic age of a person? The, one of the biggest ones is, is hydration. Another one, like I mentioned previously, another one is going to be your your body fat to muscle and, and muscle mass. And so you know, one of the ways you can positively affect your your metabolism. And one of the reasons why we men tend to have slightly higher metabolic um, rates than, than women is just we tend to, you know, aside from the hormone side of things, we tend to have more musculature. And so our uh, having a higher amount of muscle mass increases your your metabolism. Um, the hydration so are those the two big ones that drive that on that testing for us. Um, and then, of course, the, the body fat, uh, as that comes down just metabolically, we see that metabolic age uh, come down as well. All right. What about toxin elimination pathways and you know, other factors, other biomarkers or epigenetic changes or, again, genetic issues? Uh, maybe someone can't clear a particular nutrient or they can't take it properly. Does that do you observe that or looks like we're not we're not specifically observing that we do and anecdotally we see that uh i mean we see that where folks if they've got gut health issues or you know pcos or things of that nature it can cause some things for for us to have to navigate around but our our premise is that if we can remove inflammation through kind of our anti-inflammatory type diet and allow the body to start healing itself those things don't necessarily go away but the body's able to lose weight effectively uh when you know, previously they're like, it seemed like this thing that I had that seemed to stand in the way of me being able to lose weight tends to not as be as big of a factor. Yeah. So we're, we're not testing epigenetic, uh, you know, changes per se. So well, what are some of the uniqueness that you see in people, certain foods that they can't have or that they should have more of, or, you know, what are the nuances here? And some of them, I know everyone's different. What are some examples? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think one of the things we see is a lot of folks will come in having done kind of the 
the diet du jour. So, you know, in the recent years, the keto diet has been rather popular and there's a, there's a case for a ketogenic approach. After we go through a period of elimination and, and go through a period of anti-inflammation um, or anti-inflammatory eating, and we start reintroducing foods, many folks will find they're like, wow, my body actually does do really well with a higher fat as we're reintroducing fats and oils into the diet. There are other folks who find, oh, wow, carbs aren't maybe as bad as I thought they were. I, I, I've overly demonized them. And so we see folks kind of let their light bulb go off, say, as they're reintroducing and seeing, wow, I do feel okay enjoying carbs or enjoying dairy or some of these things that I thought were taboo. Uh, I'm maintaining weight. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling well-fueled. Uh, and for us, I think that's a, that's an exciting part of the journey to be to be on with with folks to see them go, wow, okay, I've demonized an entire food group. And, uh, and that may not be the case for me as they're, you know, as they're reintroducing those things into their diet. So what ideas do you explore the book? So we really try to take a lot of the textbooky, science-y type, type answers and put it into a very understandable, easy to understand and, and fun to read way. So we use a lot of third-party testimonials and anecdotes. We're showing folks' before and afters of their bio scans and their, excuse me, their, their body composition analyses. And so we explore anti-inflammatory foods and the, the benefits of an uh, anti-inflammatory type diet, how your body can naturally detoxify itself. You don't need to go do a detox tea or do some kind of crazy fasts in order to detoxify. Your body has all the equipment it needs to detoxify um, and really just get into the laying out a case of why a whole food based approach and an anti-inflammatory approach, particularly when trying to lose weight, uh, is the healthiest option or one of the healthy options. We also outline the the pros and cons of some of the other popular diets that are out there currently. Oh, okay. What What's an example of uh, the pros and cons of diets you've seen that are so, popular right now? So I think a keto diet, I think there's some wonderful pros of a keto diet, especially if it's done correctly for a limited amount of time and for depend, you know, depending on the person. Where, the, where you kind of get into sticky water with that is that if you're eating a high amount of fat, but your body actually isn't burning ketones, it's arguably one of the more unhealthy things you can be doing. And it's really easy to get kicked out of ketosis. And I think a lot of people end up doing kind of like a, a dirty keto, which is essentially just a low carb diet. They're eating a lot of saturated fats, which inherently aren't necessarily bad. But if your body's still burning sugar, uh, it can be. And all it takes is eating a little bit too much protein or a non-nutritive sweetener that your body um, reacts to uh, in a way that causes, uh, your, you know, your body to start burning sugar. And then we're, we're doing something that's unhealthy, but done well, a keto diet, uh, is, is super helpful, particularly with folks who are maybe going about to go under chemotherapy or radiation. There's been some, some studies that showed some promise, particularly in kids with their receptivity to chemotherapy, if on a keto diet. I've also seen my dad go through the keto diet very successfully, but he's measuring his blood multiple times a day, measuring his ketones multiple times a day. I'm not sure everybody else is doing that. Or an HCG diet. Uh, there's some promise, you know, around some of the medications that I've seen people take or in, in recent months, the uh, Wegovy and the semaglutide. There's some promising results there that if people stick to it and also make meaningful lifestyle changes alongside those medications, that they, they can experience lasting results. Are there um, universally inflammatory foods, meaning they affect everyone in a similar way? Or is it so different that everyone, you know, one person can eat something and be fine and another one can eat it and have a lot of trouble? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I would say a lot of the processed food and process, particularly like processed carbohydrates and sugars are inflammatory. And particularly if we're, you're eating 
those on a more chronic basis. You know, we like to say treat treats like treats. And every once in a while, it's not, you know, obviously it's not going to kill you and your body has the equipment to to handle that. But if we're chronically spiking our blood sugar because we're eating poorly, I would say that that probably universally is, is going to be releasing these inflammatory cytokines that kind of end up downstream leading to metabolic syndrome and, and other, you know, chronic illnesses. Have you had people that you can't help and all indications seem like they're listening to you, but it's just not working for some reason? Yeah, we have. There's it's it's few and far between, but we have had some folks who either they're they have a, a history of of cancer, uh, like pretty severe cancer that they're they're recently in remission from, and I believe that you know I think there's just a, the body's just locked up, and then and they're not able to to lose weight, or their body's not ready to lose weight, or they don't need to lose weight. And I, we often see some some difficulties with like some hormonal issues with women particularly if they do have like ovarian cysts, so like PCOS and some of those those type of things can sometimes give us some some problem when it comes to weight loss. I still think there's a benefit of doing an anti-inflammatory type food approach, but from a weight loss perspective, those can sometimes be difficult for, for us to navigate around. Are there any particular uh, types of people that for some reason it's just a lot harder for them, either ethnicity or men versus women or age or any of those things? Yeah, I mean, I think women definitely have a, a slower go at it when we when it comes to weight loss. Their bodies are just built in a way to want to hold on to to weight. As far as ethnicity, we have not seen anything in that in our in our data or in our kind of anecdotal experience. Um, I will say there are just some folks who seem to be built in a way that their body just wants to hold on to weight. One of the gentlemen that we work with, and he's he's a, a kind of a local celebrity here in the Phoenix radio market. The guy is just built and he can put on weight. Uh, he can go to the weight room and it seems like he's, you know, he goes and puts on 10 pounds in a week and a half, uh, you know, while somebody else might be going to the weight room trying to add weight and add muscle and it takes them, you know, three or four or five times longer. Um, so I do think that kind of how you're built also kind of plays plays into how your body carries weight and how, how quickly. I also think there's something called the weight set point theory that we talk about in our book. And the theory goes that your body starts to establish a normalcy around a specific weight number. Maybe it's a weight number you just sat at for, you know, 10, 15 years. And your hypothalamus just starts, to, which is a part of your brain that starts to regulate or helps your body regulate various processes, including weight, gets like stuck on this number, the theory goes. And so what we do find is that folks, as they're losing, they may hit a point where they're just plateaued and we're having to do a lot of different interventions, whether that's through supplementation or diet or lifestyle stuff to get them off of that number. So it's like, man, I was losing the first 15 pounds came off really well, the first 20 pounds, and then I'm just stuck at this 210 number. And as as we dig, like, well, did you sit at 210 for a number of years? And like, yeah, like all my 30s, I was at 210. And the theory is that your body just is like, hey, th I'm happy here. And your brain doesn't like it when you're losing weight. So anything it can latch on to to say, no, 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 I'm not going to lose weight, uh, it, it will. And so uh, the weight set point theory and one of the reasons why we follow up with folks and make sure that they're keeping the weight off long term, which I think a lot of programs miss, is they help you lose the weight and then they just bail on you, is we want to keep you at your new goal weight because the longer we can keep you there, the more your body starts to establish itself at that new weight. Yeah, why do people plateau? What are the reasons you've seen, and how long is an expected plateau versus like, all right, this plateau is going on so long, something's missing. Yeah, that's a great question because uh, I think that's a a big part of why people bail on their routines and their rhythms is they're like, oh, I was doing great, and then I've just been sitting on a plateau, and it's really hard to be disciplined when you're not seeing the results. 
I would say a typical plateau, if you're talking about weight loss, for most folks is going to be like the three to nine week mark and probably on that longer side for women and also for folks who are getting closer and closer to their ideal body composition. Um, so it's just harder and harder to lose the last, you know, five to 10% of the weight of, of body fat. You know what just jumped out on me is I've I've seen movies from like the 1920s and 30s and people at rail and and then you know up to the 70s and 80s I remember like the Goonies you know that kid named Chunk he wasn't even overweight by today's standards you know now you know obviously people are much heavier in general but have you seen that the um the final set point for people in general has increased versus I mean you know you wouldn't know because you weren't 100 years ago but do you think that again this the set point has gone up? I, I do. And back to Terry, who I was telling you about as a kind of a third party testimonial, you know, he has a pretty robust collection of classic cars, some of them as old as, you know, 80 to 100 years, year old cars. And he's like, they were just made for smaller people. People were just smaller. Um, and so I don't know if that I'm, I'm sure a lot of that has to do with our lifestyle, like we're just moving less because we're knowledge workers and we we work at home or we're working behind a computer. I also think like there's a whole other conversation that's probably beyond my scope around, uh, you know, processed seed oils and the food, you know, our food industry and how the quality of our food is is going down. The the the, the calories don't go down, but the 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 nutrient density does is is lacking. Mm, makes sense. Yeah. So you definitely think there's a higher set point for ideal weight matters. I think. I also think most, you know, like a lot of us now have, you know, like when I think about my dad, you know, he played high school football. He's like, we didn't really go to the weight room. Like we kind of did, you know, but it's like nowadays kids are hitting the weight room starting in middle school. So I also think that there's like hmm. in general, at least among some of my peers in the athletic space, just they're physically more imposing than you know, are the peers from several generations before. And I think you see that when you watch old and, you know, we work with the Phoenix Suns and we get to rub shoulders with some of their retired players and you go back and watch some of their videos. They don't look as physically imposing as LeBron James, you know, does out there. Uh, there's just, it's a different set of uh, optimization and, and strength and muscle building and things like that. Oh, interesting. Okay. And any other changes you're seeing in people like a, when I'm seeing, I'm not a health practitioner or anything, but again, I'm seeing a lot more anxiety amongst people, especially young people, teens, et cetera. Is that playing into, uh, is that hindering people's ability to improve their health and lower their metabolic age? Or does that not really seem to be a factor lately? I think it does. I mean, I think chronic stress absolutely affects all of your body's processes. I also think there's a, a huge emotional component to food that, you know, fully transparently, like even I, we miss uh, as a practice because we are so focused on the, you know, the micronutrients and, you know, well, how's your plate look? And we forget that there's a, there's a human with their own set of anxieties and worries and stresses and food is relaxing. Uh, there we go to food, we can attach to food in the same way that some folks will medicate on other more harmful things. Um, I think that the, the challenge with food is, you know, food's everywhere and we have to have it to live. Right. Whereas like if I'm an alcoholic, uh, I don't have to live in a bar. I can I can physically separate myself from some of these triggers. And as we have different big T and and small T traumas throughout our lives, like it's it's very easy to to go to food for comfort. And then we condition ourselves to overeat or eat too fast or eat things that are um, maybe you know not optimized for health. Okay. What's some of the feedback you've got from the book in particular that uh, 
either gave you insight or made you happy or you think was interesting? Yeah, I think one of the more insightful things for us was just the amount of people that have read it and have have reported just wonderful what we call like non-scale victories of like, wow, like I, yeah, I lost some weight, which is why I picked up the book, but my gut health seems to have improved or I'm sleeping better or I have better energy. And I think that's, uh, we love hearing those because it's like, yes, we want you to lose weight, but that's not the end goal. Like we want people to flourish. And so having readers of the book come up, tell us that uh, is always, you know, really honoring. Yeah, no, that's great. What's next for your practice? Do you want to include maybe that you yeah, you're evaluating right now. Yeah, I think right now uh, what what we're really kind of thinking through is more of like the modalities of how we walk alongside people uh, on their health journeys. And and so right now, all of our interactions are one-on-one, either most of those are in person or we do have like virtual coaching programs. And we're thinking through in a world that is very digital first, we've found a niche of folks who are saying, hey, I would love to just have a, a, a real human that, that I can talk to and have them look me in the eyes and keep me accountable and yeah, be supportive of me. We're, I think what we're excited about right now is thinking like, is there a digital com- complement of that? Are there ways we can use AI to not replace you know, something about a program, but to complement or supplement what we're already doing so that folks get even better results? Um, and so rather preliminarily, but I think those are the things that we're thinking through is how do we use technology, uh, not as a replacement or a, a wholesale change, but rather how do we use technology to provide a whole nother level of accountability and support for, for our clients who are um, asking us to walk alongside them on their journey. Okay. Well, very good. Dan, um, I believe you mentioned in the beginning virtual consultation. So are you able to help people all over the U.S. and the world or where can people get help contact you. Yeah. So we're, we've worked with folks all over North America. Um, I'm certain sure we, we never have, but I'm sure we can work with folks, um, you know, outside of the States as well. Yeah. We're one of the beautiful pieces about technology that we use is that it's it's pretty portable. So we are able to send that out to individuals to facilitate virtual coaching programs and virtual nutrition programs. All right. Um, so where can people go to, uh, you know, to get help? Should they read the fear no book, fear no food book first before they contact you? Uh, either way. So some folks were saying, hey, I'm not ready to talk to anybody just yet. I know I want to find out more about what these guys and gals are about. And so the book is a great, a great grab. So it's called Fear No Food. And for those who are saying, hey, I think I'd like to learn a little bit more about what this might look like for me in my unique situation, booking a consultation, uh, either in person or online um, at joinrevitalize.com is uh, where people can find out more. Okay, excellent. Well, Dan, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and also for what you do. Helping people is always great without the, you know, traditional standard of care, drugs, who knows what else that uh, don't seem to be working very well. So I'm glad that there's people out there like you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much, Richard. Appreciate it. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.